0: I know, I think it was about $600,000 wasted. And that's something fairly simple that you would expect the vendor to have asked, hey, do you have any HTTP 1.0 applications? I know for anyone that's listening is going to go, that's very old protocol. Yes, it is. Uh, But as a vendor, shouldn't you be somewhat responsible in making sure that your customer is satisfied or is going to be satisfied when they implement it? to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives, cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now here's your host, Carissa Breen.
1: Scott Fletcher, welcome back to the show. It's weird because I speak to you most weeks anyway, but then I was going back through and I'm like, I haven't actually had you on the show since maybe 2019. And that actually feels like a decade ago. So. Welcome back. How's it all going?
0: Oh, thanks, Chris. It's uh, it's going pretty well. I um I feel like uh, you know I've done did a lot of international travel um, pre COVID, so it's actually been really nice to to spend some time at home and uh, maybe do some of the things that I'd kind of put on hold for for quite a while. What about yourself?
1: Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, I was overseas in 2020 before the pandemic started to really permeate throughout the world. So I had one trip in before probably most people's. I am probably lucky. But then this last 18 months or so, it's felt like it's gone for like 18 years. It's just felt like it's been going forever. But in saying that, we've seen a really good adoption to how people have had to work from home and work from anywhere. So I guess... It's always that silver lining that we've seen. There's innovation has been there and people have had to move from what they were doing before. So I guess there's good, bad and everything. But one of the things that I'd like to sort of ask you since you've been away from the show for a while, what do you think you've sort of learned since we had you on previously? uh, What are some of your key takeaways that you think that you've sort of um, learned throughout the, the time? Oh, there's
0: been, there's been quite a few, actually. Um, some work-related, some not work-related. Um, I could definitely tell you that um, uh, I think a lot of people have really considered what uh, work and the work-life balance means for them. And I guess it's kind of work-related as well. Uh, I think a lot of people have really had time to focus on what's important to them. I think a lot of people have changed jobs. I've changed jobs. Uh, I also... Spent a lot of time this year in between lockdowns, getting tattooed. So I now have a lot more of my body covered. Um seen Things that. that you know, yeah, that's all right. Getting your neck tattooed is a, a wonderful experience, I can tell you. Um, yeah, so it, there's been a lot. Um, certainly for me, I, I'm I'm looking forward to life returning back to a little bit, a bit more, be a little bit more normal, uh, and then, yeah, essentially go forward with, with a new perspective.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right and I'm I'm glad that you can sort of see, like I said, the silver lining in it. I know it's been hard and especially where you are down in Victoria uh, and I mean New South Wales is going through a very similar pattern now, but I'm glad that you can see some of the positives in which you'll be able to achieve through this tumultuous time, but hopefully we can move forward from this and we never have to think about this ever again. So I'll be, I'll be glad to see that day. But one of the things I so want to get into now is you have worked on multiple sides of the coin. So you've been in vendor land, you've sort of been more in a consulting type role. Let's dive into evaluating vendors and cybersecurity. So d- just talk to me about this, however open or not open you want to be about it, because I want to sort of set the scene because that is going to be the conversation today. And I think this is really interesting Because throughout COVID, we saw people sort of just straight away jump into working with a vendor without doing sort of due diligence. And I understand that they didn't really have the time to do that. But even throughout the course of the last few years in particular, we've seen a lot of new vendors in the market and people sort of adopting to their technology quite quickly. So I'm really keen to hear your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, you're right. Uh, And I was in vendor land when uh, COVID really hit here in Australia. And it was very interesting to see where people's time and energies uh, were placed on both sides of the coin. I think uh, a lot of businesses essentially went, oh, we need remote working. So if you were Zoom, you'd be having a great time. Uh, I think a lot of uh, VPN companies, uh, you know, remote access systems were probably hot topics within a lot of businesses. Uh, so it was interesting to see where uh, essentially, businesses had previously relied on, you know, traditional WAN and traditional LAN, um, that then they had to move to, you know, remote access and how do you secure endpoints running in insecure environments within people's homes where you don't control the environment and you also don't control the other devices within that environment. But you're right, um, I think when we're looking at evaluating vendors and we'll, we'll start with the purest view here. And I think that is that a lot of red teamers uh, or security evangelists would simply say you don't need the tools. And if you need tools, maybe not even the paid ones, just a good design and a plan will do. Uh, I don't particularly prescribe to that, uh, although it is an interesting viewpoint. But working, like you say, in both red and blue teams, you'll find that blue teamers have a a much harder job. It's really easy for a vendor to just sit there and say, oh, it's really easy to fix without the real context of how a business operates. And often the most challenging bit when you are a blue teamer isn't the actual doing of the work, it's the communicating, as you would well know. I think, you know, you and I have talked at length about how, you know, you need to communicate well to be able to align those resources and actually achieve those business goals.
1: So would you say from a vendor's point of view, like you and I know that, and I think it was actually you telling me this. I remember I was down at Circular Key and you called me and I was waiting for the ferry, so it's going back a while. But you were saying that a vendor was telling a client that if they bought their product that they wouldn't be hacked. So do you think that people still, I don't want to say fall for these types of uh, – tricks or chicanery or whatever you want to call it but I don't believe that's the best approach and do you think that because people are sort of saying this that they are sort of getting an adoption to their technology?
0: I think I think it is it's interesting when people make those kind of claims and vendors make those kind of claims. Uh, I feel like it makes it really hard for vendors that are doing the right thing that have um, like an ethical code when they are engaging with customers, and they want to make sure that there's a good fit. I think in a lot of cases, uh, yeah, there are there are a number of vendors that just rely on brand and big marketing budgets to solve, you know, the 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 initial pre-sales and sales aspects, and then all they really care about is the sign on the line and the contract, and then it essentially all goes down the hill after that.
1: So, would you say that is a predominantly the driving factor for vendors getting into clients because they do have multi-million dollar budgets. They've been around a lot longer. It's a bit of an easier, potentially, the sell because it's like, well, you've been around for 100 years versus a startup, which the capability may or may not be there, but they've been around five seconds and they don't have like the brand awareness that perhaps your bigger players have. Would you say that's the case?
0: Oh, definitely. But this all really comes down to, the the actual customer driving the conversation and the customer actually understanding what it is they're trying to achieve out of engaging a vendor in the first place you know we see a lot of um movement towards specialization and you you get cost optimization out of that as well Um, you know that also then means you can drive your business to doing the thing that it does well and that then also generates revenue not running things like your own infrastructure uh, and, you know, I'd almost argue you probably don't even want to be running the service components either. So you've got, you know, the adoption of pairs and managed services and things as well. And so we we generally, yeah, we should seek out those providers um, to supply those well-designed and well-operated things uh, that are kept up, kept up to date.
1: So from your opinion, do you believe that organisations are evaluating vendors because, Sometimes I've just seen that perhaps there isn't enough rigor, so to speak, like involved in this process. Yes, as I mentioned before, the COVID thing, but in general, are they sort of bamboozled by the, the marketing and the, the brand awareness? Would you say that they're focused more on that, which then qualifies and sort of dictates that, yes, this is a good vendor because they've got a lot of brand recognition, they've got a lot of marketing budget, they must be good?
0: Yeah, I think you could simply put it down as that both organization vendors aren't going into this uh, essentially an arrangement or a relationship very well at all. And as a result, both parties usually suffer. You find that organizations are generally resource constrained. I can certainly say that uh, it doesn't really matter how many people you have in your team. You always have more work to do uh, than you have available resources. Uh, you know, this usually leads to you speaking to a vendor um, with maybe only three or four high level requirements and you haven't really done any upfront research. Um, you know, I, when I used to work for the the WAF managed services vendor, you know, we'd give a presentation on the service and then I'd get asked, how do you compare to other WAF tools? This is where you have to operate it yourself. They have fundamentally missed the whole point about going to a managed service. But you can see how this becomes a really difficult um, initial start of a relationship with a potential customer but yeah vendors are mostly focused on sales and I see that the they end up leading the discussion because the customer hasn't done the upfront research <laughs> uh, you know and like we've just talked about that does tend to favor um, organizations with big budgets big marketing spend you know fancy diagrams that are delivered by seasoned salespeople, um, and if if you also taking the approach of you know going out to market, you look at analyst companies, um, you know, and those can be useful. But once again, it's often the big marketing budgets that drive those. Those analyst organisations aren't the ones going out there providing that information to you free uh, for you know the good of all the people. They're out there because they're being paid to write content, um, and that's not just limited to the IT industry. Yeah, I've got a dog. As you know, um, and the pet food industry is another one that's exactly like that, which I was completely unaware of until I um, spoke to my dog breeder. Um, so yeah, if you if you consider all of those things, you also need to consider the bits that arise later. You know, if you've established a good fit uh, with a company, you know how do you evaluate the initial requirements of the product, the security of the product. Everyone focuses on like compliance, but as we know, compliance very rarely means secure. I always see compliance as a subset of security. And you can look at other things. There are other tools and products out there that help you provide. uh, Sorry, there are other tools out there that can help you define how well a company does security, but also these things have limitations and often don't provide the full picture either.
1: You spoke before about doing your research. And that's interesting because you've got, of course, big players that have been around and big marketing budget, et cetera. But then one of the questions that someone in client side was like, but how do we actually find out about these startups that probably are good, that are a fifth or a tenth of the price compared to a, a big operator? And so what would be your advice to people? And I know for a fact, because I, I obviously do this for a living, that people prefer to do their own research. They don't want people calling them up saying, hey, have you seen my product? I'm going to come into your office, do a demo and waste two hours of your time. And then get my sales guy to, to, to call you up every week and even know you don't want to buy the product. So how do you think... Us as an industry, what do we need to start doing? Because people say they want to do their own research, but then I also hear people complain saying, well, where do I get the research from? Or the research that I've got isn't really relevant to my industry because I live in Australia, perhaps. So what would be your sort of thinking process and your advice to people that should start to go a bit deeper into doing vendor analysis on a particular product?
0: Yeah, it's a very, it's a very complex Uh, answer. And I think it depends on whether you're talking about a managed service, uh, whether you are looking at uh, a DIY tool. I think we need to normalize the asking of hard and difficult questions. I know on both sides of the coin, people feel uncomfortable sharing some level of detail that may look bad on either side, right? Like as a customer, how Uh, you know, how much technical debt you may have within your environment that's going to cause issues for the vendor when they come to implement something. Or from the vendor side, there's a feature that, you know, you know the customer wants, but also you aren't going to actually deliver or build in the next 6, 12 or 18 months. But if you look at it, there's no long-term value in this relationship, if it's not a good fit, all you're going to end up with is dissatisfaction and customer churn. And I can tell you from being in the vendor side, it's much harder to win a customer than keep an existing one happy.
1: That is wild.
0: (laughs) It should be, it should be pretty, pretty straightforward and common sense. However, that's not how most vendors think. They're only looking at customer acquisition. And in fact, a lot of them operate, and you know, I've talked about, they operate on the idea of, you know, positive, positive customer acquisition. essentially an increase in customer numbers, but they're, they're essentially hiding the fact that there's a significant amount of churn. Um, but that, once again, is a short-sighted, um, short-sighted vision.
1: But why would you think like that? Because, I mean, it's a small industry. You can't keep fishing from the same pond. Eventually, your fish are going to run out. And also, people speak within the industry. Uh, I mean, working in a bank myself, if a vendor was good, you'd have other banks sort of coming and approaching you saying, what's your experience with X vendor? So wouldn't you sort of see that there'd be some cross-pollination on that front? So it's sort of worth their while to maintain the relationship in, in order to potentially get referred or get other work from other people, perhaps?
0: Oh, I would definitely agree I think the people that have those um, short-sighted approaches generally you see you know you can look on LinkedIn and see who changes jobs about every two years um, you know what I mean there's not a there's no long-term um, retention of staff for people with those type of um, those type of attributes but if you consider the types of questions that you really should be asking of a vendor if you're a customer and I'll focus mostly on the customer bits here um, You know, like the one thing that you actually want to know is how are you going to be treated later? Often pre-sales and sales are the best in the company and you're often then handed off to an operations team. If you're talking about managed services, you know, are the people that are going to be servicing you later as good as the pre-sales engineer that, you know, sold you on the dream? So you can do some simple things like ask them, can I talk to your customers? Can I talk to an existing customer? Can I talk to a customer who's left? I would be really it should be a red flag. Um, and we, it's quite funny. I actually consider vendor evaluation a bit like dating. And one of my friends has always said no red flags in the first 90 days. Um, I know my personal experience with dating isn't great, but vendor evaluation is a little bit uh, simpler, I think. Uh, so, you know, you can say, Hey, (laughs) I know, you know me too. I think 90 days is
1: is a pretty long time. I'm a lot more harsh than that, but yeah, sure. I get your, I get your drift.
0: Yeah, so you could say, hey, can I speak to a customer who's left? Cool, the, the vendor could choose who that is. Um, but you want to know the reasons why they left, essentially. Because, like I say, if you're going to enter into a long-term relationship, regardless of how much money is transferred, you want to make sure you're going to get what what you need and that you're going to be treated well. But some of the more like complicated ones as well, from being in consulting land, uh, you know, audit pen test scopes are always a thing that people kind of treat as coveted information within an organization i'd certainly if it was a if you wouldn't do it for everything but for some things like if you were looking at a i don't know an ideas solution so identity management as a service you probably want to say hey i want to have a look at your environment footprint obviously not the detail but i want to know what services are running where's my data stored who has access to it I'd also like to see a pen test that says all those environments, whether it's prod, non-prod, have had an adequate scope and those scopes have been covered in the pen test and that there are no issues that exist. Things like how do you prioritise and build new customer features based on customer requests? Um, you know, I'd like to see your roadmap. What is it? Uh, how have you managed to track against your proposed roadmap based on your release schedule? And I think there's also another one as well that a lot of companies forget, and that's around technical debt. Uh, if you're going to work with a company, you want to make sure that they aren't just driving features and development based on new customer sales, because what you actually end up with trying to be everything to everyone is a huge amount of technical debt, which essentially will stall the company in the future. Um, you know, And depending on the solution and what you're trying to achieve, maybe that's okay, um, but a lot of people don't think about well, if I needed to choose a Plan B if this, you know, this choice and this um, this engagement goes the wrong way, how would we roll back? Um, is something yeah that most people don't consider.
1: So I was speaking to someone a few weeks back, and they were on the vendor side. Then they went into a client, and the client had already purchased this product. So it was interesting because. He had done a little bit of a audit on the product and then went back to his, well, the client he was working at effectively, so his company, and was saying, we don't need all of these features that we're paying for. So I think the number was like, he saved them $300,000 just from turning off like features because no one was sort of aware on why they needed it. And so I raised that because sometimes people will come in, they'll buy a product, then that person leaves. And so you just left with this product that A, potentially no one uses, B, we're not using it to the full effect, or C, you're really paying for things that you don't need. Would you say that's quite a common problem in the industry?
0: Oh, most definitely. I've worked in organisations where they have purchased products and we've come to implement them and for whatever reason – it was something really simple as doesn't support HTTP 1.0. So uh, it had to be what HTTP 1.1 compliant applications that we were presenting through this service, uh, which meant, I know, I think it was about $600,000 wasted. And that's something fairly simple that you would expect the vendor to have asked, hey, do you have any HTTP 1.0 applications? I know for the, anyone that's listening is going to go, that's very old protocol. Yes, it is. Uh, but as a vendor, shouldn't you be somewhat responsible in making sure that your customer is satisfied or is going to be satisfied when they implement it? Uh, But yes, also, I think back to the, uh, without the adequate research from the customer side about what it actually is you're trying to achieve, you know, you've basically handed, and I have both been in the customer side and the vendor side in this, where you walk into a meeting and it's like, oh, just tell me what you do. That's the wrong approach. Because you are essentially letting, uh, and if you're a slick salesperson, you can just simply go, great, I can sell you on a dream here about where you could end up. I don't know many organizations that have the uh, the cadence or sprint cadence to be able to achieve a lot of, or implement a lot of those things that could be done, but they're sold on, hey, you could do all of these things with all of these bits. Um Uh, without actually any sort of analysis as to how you do it and the time Um, and, you know, as a blue team, we've already established that there isn't a lot of time uh, and you have a lot of other responsibilities as well. So, yeah, I would definitely say that uh, vendors are making a lot of money out of licenses that just aren't being used.
1: Okay, so there are two things on that. One, going back to the story about the vendor, why didn't they ask? Do you think that they weren't aware or do you think they were aware, but if they told the customer that, that customer wouldn't have bought their product?
0: Oh, that's that's a tricky one. I think the responsibility isn't so much. I think there's, there's the responsibility of the vendor to say, hey, here's what's possible. It's obviously the customer's choice as to whether they purchase it or not, um, but I would also you would also expect the vendor to turn around at some point and say, "Hey, you're not using these things. Is there any help that is required from our side? Um, you know this is just comes down to the the customer satisfaction piece. Do you want to renew in year two? and maybe your renewal cost goes like your renewal value goes down, but you have a long term customer and once you get to the five years, they basically become a patron and then you can almost be guaranteed that they'll never leave. Or would you rather run the risk of saying, oh, well, we're going to renew the license because we can, even knowing that they're not using it, and then run the risk that the customer goes, well, hang on a minute. I don't know. I think it it would depend largely on the customer, but a lot of customers don't have adequate vendor management and vendor licensing management. Um, Certainly, there are cloud hosting providers that are in this, this space where they don't care whether you're running virtual machines in their environment. They just care that you're paying for it.
1: Okay, so for people listening, they're probably thinking, right, I'm in charge of a team or a division or I'm a CFO listening to this podcast. How would you go about every, is it every year that people should be reviewing their, their their vendors and going through and auditing, like, do we need all of these features? Do you think, A, people are doing that? And then, B, what would be your approach so people – Effectively, are not paying for things that they don't use at the end of the day, or that they don't need.
0: That's a good question. Renewal time makes it really simple. You can simply say, okay, when the contract's up for renewal, you could put down, hey, what have we actually used? Um, I think more fundamentally than that, if you follow, I have generally have a typical process. So you're once you've established, you've got maybe one or two candidates that can meet your solution whether it's managed service or PaaS or whatever it is. Maybe it's just something that you install or something that you run. You wanna make sure you have a proof of concept. I think mapping features and solutions to problems and use cases is the first thing. Um, if you don't have well-defined use cases, you're certainly gonna end up in the, we're paying for things we're not using um, camp, which is not a great place to be. Um, as we know, budgets, are are shrinking and um, tooling and costs go up, certainly because in Australia, a lot of tools that we purchase are still priced in US dollars, so are also affected by currency exchange rates. Uh, So yeah, proof of concept would be the first one. I'd certainly make sure it's as close to production as possible or run it in production if you game. Uh, I would certainly say pick the hardest and most complex use cases. So you've essentially established, right, that you've got this is what I want it to do. I know this is the most complicated um, implementation for whatever I'm running, so we'll do that one first. Don't pick the simple one. Um, Often the simple one might be more successful, um, but you wanna make sure, even though it might require more time to do the one that is the most complicated. The idea being that the simple one should be obviously more simple. Uh, I'd also say if it's a security control, you want to make sure you're testing those negative use cases as well. Just making sure that it does what it's supposed to isn't going to be great if there are false negatives. Essentially, you're a, uh, part, it's doing something that it shouldn't. Um, I'd also say involving other stakeholders is key too. Um, you want to make sure that it's widely adopted within your organisation, depending on whatever the solution is. <clears throat> but yeah, I would certainly say following that kind of approach, and then reviewing it annually um, is, is a good option I'd say there is there is a gap in the market or gap in the industry at the moment. Um, there are obviously we talked about those analyst organizations that regularly update those uh, those diagrams to say here are the up and coming vendors and here's the ones that are leading and those kinds of things
1: yeah but but, but just on that point, like leading like but to who leading to who. <laughs>
0: I know this is this is one of your uh, favourite topics, isn't it?
1: Well, I want to <laughs> be specific in it. Like when people say we're leading, but to who? Who said that? Like anyone can come out and say that. This is the part that gets me. So if you're going to say it's leading, what, what type of industry, what size of the organisation, how mature is their organisation? Like these are the things that I think the specifics in this case matters, don't you think?
0: Uh, I do. I do. And I also think that there is a part to play here for system integrators. Uh, often things change and you're not going to be an expert in everything all the time. I don't know anyone that's an expert in everything and that's fine. You just need to be able to understand when you need to bring people in that are experts in a particular area. I'd certainly recommend talking to boutique systems integrators or having at least a relationship with several of them and you can get independent advice and also they will have been involved with These similar implementations or similar vendors, um, similar customer challenges, and you can also then use them to facilitate uh, discussions with vendors, discussions with their other customers. I think that's a really uh, time effective way of doing it. I wouldn't specifically want to be going out there every year trying to look at, you know, what's the uh, what's the most applicable um, and best fit identity as a service um provider um for my company yeah like every 12 months at contract renewal
1: but would you say that some of the smaller companies are biased perhaps towards a vendor because they work with them more so they understand it just inherently more opposed to the other three vendors are sitting on their shelf i think
0: there's bias everywhere i think people often will uh and i look i'm guilty of this as well people will often turn to the, what they know that's familiar Uh, they'll also turn to what other people have done, um, simply because it's, it's easy. Your brain makes shortcuts to the information that's most relevant because obviously your brain can't compute everything all the time either. And so, yeah, it develops these biases to say, okay, I used this tool before that tool will work again without even actually understanding will it. And that's why it's very, uh, it's, it's very important that you go through the, through the process and proof of concept is, is key.
1: So one of the things I'd like to ask you about now is going back a step, a vendor rolls up to an organization, they do their pitch, they do their demo, et cetera. They explain potentially licensing fees, whatever. What do you believe people need to yield in terms of a framework to follow uh, or like a criteria? Well, and may it, maybe it's not sort of written in their, like their notebook, so to speak, or on their laptop, but- What is something that people can go through systematically to ensure that, yes, we've the first round of this conversation, they've, they've ticked the boxes effectively. Like they haven't sort of skimmed over anything.
0: Yeah. And that is, (laughs) I think the first step is to actually understand, do you want to do it yourself? Do you want someone else to do it for you? Do you want assistance in doing it? Or do you just need support when it's required I'd also say you want to consider who's responsible for something at 2 a.m. in the morning. And obviously, it's not one size fits all. You know, I would, some things may need none of those. Maybe that is a tool that you can just run ad hoc that you've just licensed. But there are lots of things as well. Like if you're talking about uh, a CDN or you're talking about, as I keep going back to the identity as a service um, solution, is it that you're being called up at 2 in the morning when none of your customers, maybe you've got 100,000 customers, can log in? Um, Is it that you can then push that to a managed services provider? Is it that you're pushing it to the vendor for support? All of these things you need to consider before you actually go and look at the solution because a lot of vendors will sell you, hey, we've got a managed service when it's actually break fix support, right? They're not actively monitoring it. They're not actively managing it for you, but they will act when you engage them for support purposes. That's definitely the first one because those those companies, they're actually very different. One is providing the tool, the other one is providing an outcome. Um, And understanding understanding the type of company that you are, and then also your budget, your available resource will help derive whether you go down a managed services path or you go down a, I want a tool and I just want to do it myself. And both are completely valid options. You just have to understand there are considerations for both of those.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because I know people have been caught out before when there's been an incident at 2 a.m. in the morning and they thought the vendor was responsible. But in fact, according to the contract, they were responsible. So I think really understanding where it starts and stops uh, is something that I, I still don't think a lot of people really have worked out. Like, Where does the responsibility lie with who uh, in this particular Situation: Who would be responsible for taking that call at two AM and then managing it, and then fixing it, and then responding on it? I still think that that is quite uh, a significant piece of the puzzle that isn't isn't there yet, from for my experience and my understanding of speaking to people uh, in the industry.
0: Definitely, and I I think I touched on it earlier, where I said you know the the pre sales and sales team. Are probably going to tell you what you want to hear, but you actually should hear it from an existing customer or a customer that's left, uh, because you want to be asking those questions of them. You know, if we were to have a problem at 2am in the morning, will they run to the problem, or will they run away from the problem, or are they just uncontactable because they're only available during business hours? And in Australia, it's a very unique position that you know we've got Perth, WA, obviously that's you know several hours behind or South Australia, which is half an hour behind. And, you know, if you are a company that's providing something and you're on the East Coast, are you working till 7 or 8 p.m. Uh, to support Perth time? These are all things that, that need to be considered. Um, but you're right. I'll often there is a disconnect. And when it actually comes to contract signing, the ha- it, that's actually where you'll find those SLAs and those those metrics and those things that are essentially legally binding. Someone's already made, to, made the decision to purchase it without actually looking at the contract. So yes, I, I do think the, the responsibility piece is important. You can solve that pretty easily with asking for a Racy from the vendor. Um, but once again, it comes down to having to ask those difficult questions and you shouldn't feel bad about asking them either. You could simply say, if there's a pro- this particular problem happened at 2 a.m. in the morning, how would we get support from you? And you can ask it for written writing. You could ask it to be put in the contract if you felt the need. Um, But this once again, what (laughs) originally comes back to having your requirements, right? If you need to understand, you know, we're looking at a a web application firewall product at the moment and it's a complete DIY solution. It's like, well, okay, who's dealing with it at 2 a.m. in the morning? We haven't solved that problem today. And it's like, well, this is something that we need to consider. Because at some point, the problem is going to come up. Um,
1: So would you say that people are afraid to ask those hard questions? And if so, why?
0: I think they are. Certainly, I wouldn't want to be a vendor being asked those questions. Um, You know, someone in pre-sales, if a customer came to me and said, hey, we understand that you're processing production traffic that may contain PII, credit card data, things that need to be protected by various um, privacy laws and certain jurisdictions, I want to see, you know, a high-level diagram about where your environments lie, how, where it's hosted. Um, I want to see that your pen test scope covers those environments adequately. I want to know that there are no issues. You'd be very hard pressed to find a vendor that would adic- like willingly, and maybe I'm maybe I just haven't come across one that would willingly provide that information. I think that's where we should get to, but I think there's a lot of ambiguity around scope, what constitutes an environment where that data is stored. What about non-production? There's lots of things that I've seen in my 10 years that make me cringe a little bit. And it almost gives the, it almost gives the customer a false sense of security because it's no different than a customer saying, oh, we want to run an external vulnerability scan and let's just not even talk about how I feel about vulnerability scanning in general. From, from that kind of perspective, I don't think it's very valuable. It's like a tick box exercise to say, oh, we've done it, we've evaluated a vendor that we want to use and they don't have any criticals or highs. Well, if they did, you probably should never touch them again. Um, but it's also the same thing. You look at it and go, is that really adequate? I would say that that's maybe getting you 10% of the way there. It's, but it, once again, it comes down to vendors doing what they should Being able to feel confident that they can then they've done everything that they need to to ensure customers are satisfied. There's there's a lot that could be improved on here. Um, And I know you know everyone has technical debt. Everyone carries technical debt. Whether you're you know a a vendor, you're a startup. Doesn't really matter who it is. Um, How you pay it off and how you you prioritize that I think is key.
1: But if you are sitting on the other side, the client side, you are ultimately potentially responsible for the outcome. Do you believe that the onus needs to be put on the client a bit more to ask those hard questions? And I agree with you. Like no one wants to be interrogated and and felt that they are being asked a thousand and one questions and they're on the hook a little bit. I totally get that position. It's not a nice position to be in. But I also get it from the client side, like they should feel that they are allowed to ask those hard questions. But do you think that people are still a bit afraid and feel maybe they're speaking out of turn because they ca- that can come across quite sort of uh, aggressive, maybe?
0: I think we need to, I'd like to think we need to normalize it because it, it is, it can appear like it's all in the delivery. If you do it with a smile on your face, oh, I don't know, maybe some people are receptive to that. Maybe some aren't. I think that <laughs> do you know you know where I'm coming from right though if if it's delivered in a bad way that says here we we need all of these things, you're probably gonna find a vendor or most would just turn around and say we're not willing to give you that information, see you later.
1: well fine, they walk away then
0: well, and you have to be prepared for that as well, I think,
1: but then I the, feel like the, that's still shady, don't you think, like if you're as good as you say you are, you shouldn't be afraid. Like, I mean, you don't have to give them your crown jewels and your, your source code. We're not saying that. But if they ask you, I think the questions that you asked before are relevant. And I think you go into a big company, they are going to ask you that stuff. Absolutely they will. They say, we're walking away. Sorry, it's part of our procurement process. These are our policies. These are our procedures. You don't want to adhere to it. There's the door. See you later. Thanks for coming.
0: Yeah, and I think you just have to understand that it may be a little bit awkward. Um and you also you also have to kind of be able, you have to be prepared to walk away um, because sometimes maybe maybe your second or third choice is if like we we're only really looking at it from a security point of view is the most secure
1: right 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 so would you say scott we've got to get to a place in the industry that we have more transparency now again we're not saying you need to declare every single thing in your business that is your ip but some of those things you touched on, I think, are fair. And I, I believe that if people were being more transparent or clients were asking those hard questions to, to, to shed the light on those areas, they probably would, would win more deals in the end because people value that. They're honest. They've got a level of integrity. What's on their roadmap they're actually implementing? It's all well and good to say, here's our roadmap. It's fancy and it's awesome. And then no one does anything with it.
0: That's very true. I think there does need to be, there isn't as far as I'm aware and maybe I'll, I need to do a bit more investigation, but I, I'm yet to find a completely independent view of here's a here's a solution, sorry, here's a problem. Here are the solutions that can solve that problem. Here's what people are saying about it. Here's the use cases. And, you know, I'm not talking about, hey, this vendor has these big company logos on the website often. And I, I, I do know that a lot of those um, companies will agree to have their logos on the vendor's website if they get a discount in the pricing. So, you know, I'm not adverse to that. I think it's 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 a sound strategy from a vendor's point of view. But I also don't think that that can just simply be saying, you know, this big Australian or big American brand company is using our software, so it's obviously good enough for them. That's a very short-sighted view. Um, but yes, you're right. There is no uh, There is no independent pragmatic view of problems and solutions and who can provide them as far as I'm aware.
1: Mm. So on that point, do many people just follow what the guy next door to him is doing what he's doing? Cause what I mean by that is when I was working in banking, we'd purchase a product and then the rest of the banks, the big four banks or three banks would then just follow. So we were the Guinea pig. We buy a product, then all of a sudden within 12 months the other banks have bought it and then it kind of feels like the vendor knew inherently that they were going to get a like a four for one deal would you say that is the case
0: i i think there's two parts to that the the i don't think the vendor would well i would hope that the vendor wouldn't be that eager it wouldn't sorry I would hope that a vendor wouldn't have an ego that big to think that if he managed to get it into one bank, he'd get it into them all. Uh, I don't that's know, not...
1: Scotty. I don't know. <laughs> I've that's seen it before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, okay. The the guy's obviously got a huge amount of confidence in his product. That's great. It's good. Good to know. Um, I. I so there is that that piece. Generally, vendors I don't think would want to count their chickens before they hatch, because I know if you put down. In your customer management system, I'm going to sell it to four banks in 12 months. Someone's going to hold you to that. That's uh that's shooting yourself in the foot before you've made your first. What deal. every
1: QBR rolls round? What's that next bank you're sort of lining up for this deal now? That's basically how the conversation's going to go.
0: Oh yeah, you know it. Yep. Uh, this Jim, the sales guy, is going to be uh, looking over you, going, "Where's that next deal?" Um, no, but then there's also the the bit from the customer's side. I don't think. Anyone has, you know, we keep talking about these um, these uh, magical squares, shall we call them. No one has ever been, kind of been, you know, told that buying from one of them was a bad decision.
1: But what happens if someone bought from one of these ones in these magic squares and then were breach hacked or they went out of business? Are we still going to say, well, I relied off the magic square to guide me? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: it sounds a bit like the magic school bus, doesn't it? Um <laughs> I don't know. That's where my brain goes. Yeah. So no, I I feel like you still uh you still have to perform your vendor analysis. You still have to go through your third party security assessments and all of the other things that you would hope you'd have in place. You know, if you're if you have essentially any um, compliance certifications, these things are required. I know it's certainly required for ISO. I know it's required for a number of the the US certifications as well. Uh, but no, I I think. A starting point, a lot of people just have defaulted to what's available, um, and that is, you know, analysis-driven, or sorry, analyst-driven, you know, briefings and reports based on things that vendors have almost defined as the problem space, and that's not always what the customer's use case is. It's almost like, you know, back to my original point, which was if you haven't done your research and knowing what problem you're trying to solve, you're essentially leaving it up to someone to tell you, hey, did you know, uh, you know, you could do all of these things. And I'll you a really good example. I went to look at a new Toyota Hilux because having a dog in my current car is not practical. And the guy goes, oh, it's got uh, the air conditioning runs through the glove box. so You can put your sandwiches in there. And I go, well, that's great. I don't generally eat sandwiches, but. You know, it's so I, random, but no, but you know what I mean, right? You're looking at it, it's going well. I get now, it you've produced a You've produced something that I know that I would use without knowing I needed, and in fact, it was never a requirement when I went to go look at mm, a car. You made an it, assumption, correct?
1: So, you're saying the same assumptions that it applied to the security world?
0: Yeah, I would love a security product that kept my beers cold, but. <laughs> they, they don't do that, unfortunately.
1: Well, I don't know. It, it could happen. Who knows? But would you, okay, hypothetically speaking, if we have full blown transparency, just say there are 50 vendors, there was a platform for it, you went through it with a fine tooth comb, or, or you had the, the capability to go through it with a fine tooth comb, sorry? Do you think people will still do that if all of the stuff's on the table? Go for your life. Do you think that people are still just going to fall back to their old ways because they couldn't be bothered and it takes a significant amount of time? Or do you think people are still going to do adequate DD on a particular vendor? If the information's available, of course.
0: I think the one bit that we haven't really considered or haven't talked about thus far is existing relationships. Often business is done and business today is often done because you know someone. You buy it through someone because you know them and you like them. That's the one thing that we probably can't account for. Uh, so there will still be a, a, a significant amount of business done that way. Um, you go to someone that is it a systems integrator. They work with these three service providers or they have these three vendors on that they can sell. And so you're going to pick one of them. <laughs> it's as simple as that.
1: Right. Because they've got a, a, a standing relationship with Jim. For twenty years, makes sense. They trust the guy; hasn't failed them before. There's no real need, perhaps, to to go through everything the fine tooth comb. But then I kind of feel like you're doing a disservice. Like I get it. You've, we're not saying the guy's a bad guy, but he's not ultimately responsible for this product at the end of the day, and probably doesn't have any input in the in the roadmap or technical capability.
0: No, but in some cases, if they are, if you are purchasing it through. Um, essentially a third party or a systems integrator, they can be really useful in driving outcomes. They can be really good at ensuring the vendor is responsive. So there is some value to that. But you're correct. I think it is doing a disservice because there are a lot of startups now. And this is a really lengthy topic, I know. But we're essentially doing a disservice to startups and a lot more agile, nimble organizations with less technical debt, with some really smart people New ways of doing things, things that are probably more aligned to um, new application ecosystems and things like that, that aren't, you know, aren't going to be as well known. So, yeah, it really comes down to the appetite you have and the type of individual and the personality that individual that's actually going out and doing the investigation. Because if you if you are, how do I say it? in perhaps in the older generation and I'm not stereotyping here. I'm just saying, you know, you're probably gonna fall back to long standing relationships you've had with someone for five, ten, twenty years, versus if you're in the younger generation, you're probably gonna go to Google for your your research and then you're gonna work from, you know, essentially a different um a different point of view. Although I think, yeah, as as times change, um, I think we'll probably pivot more towards having um, more freely available information. And I would hope at some point in the future, a bit more um, transparency around vendors and solutions, and also how people feel about them. It's almost like, you know, it's the old old adage, it's like, you know, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Well, I, I feel like if as long as it's uh, considered, and it's not aggressive, I feel that there's no reason to speak your mind about why you why you left a particular vendor and chose another one.
1: So just to go a little bit deeper on that point, if you were saying in terms of if there was full transparency because perhaps smaller companies like startups are overlooked because they haven't been around for very long, they don't have the awareness like a big player. Just say it was it was all out there on a platform. You could go and do your reconnaissance on a particular vendor. If there was everything from a startup and an enterprise, for example, that they could go through and they found the startup was better in terms of capability and price and whatever, would you say that potentially your big players could start to get into deep water in the future because they're now competing against a startup that could be better, may not be better, but now the information's on the table where everyone can see what's going on, which may result in them losing deals because the startup potentially is better than them?
0: I would say so. I definitely think that if you, uh, the way I see it, you've got older, more legacy environments, companies, platforms, things that, you know, have matured over time, but also don't follow, you know, the, um, you know, a lot of things run in the cloud, but I'm thinking like, you um, cloud native services so if I'm thinking like AWS and Azure's managed services that they now have you know if you are so it really comes down to that you don't want to be everything to everyone um you will find that you know legacy AV scanning solutions right aren't really that applicable in cloud environments but there are others that have recently come up that are doing really well um that that they've have an understanding about how new applications and new environments and new ecosystems are built and how they're managed. And they have something that that just works often. It's quite interesting to see over the last 10 years how much things have changed from, oh, I've got to install tooling in my environment to do a thing to, well, actually now I just go into AWS and I go, I want to integrate this and here's a CloudFormation template and I click go and it all just works. And you're like, well, that was pretty seamless and then everything just happens. Um, so I think it's a, uh, you know, it's depends on who the vendor is trying to target as their customer base. Being able to pivot is really going to be difficult for the more of those legacy vendors. Although you will also find that a lot of those legacy vendors will have existing customers that are unable to move because they also suffer the same problems that these legacy vendors have.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. So lastly, in light of, us talking about vendor analysis, vendors, how they sell. What advice would you give to vendors who are trying to help win sales from you being on every side of the coin possible to being in a pre-sales role in a vendor? What sort of – what are the, some of the key takeaways people can can implement perhaps after listening to this episode?
0: My first, My first one, and it's happened to me a lot lately – I would really like if vendors would stop asking. (laughs) Sorry, or if I was a vendor, I would certainly not be asking customers um, when's your buying cycle. It's it. I don't know. Do people
1: ask that though? Like just straight up?
0: Yeah, I've been asked it three times in my new job. I've been in this new job two months. Just Um, straight out
1: of nowhere, like just arced up randomly.
0: Yep. And we're not talking small vendors here either. And uh, most people will have heard of them. So I hope they're not listening to this afterwards. But yeah, it just it comes across very impersonal, I get.
1: But do you know these people or they've just seen your your position on LinkedIn and they've just said, Hi, Scott, when's your, when's your buying cycle? Is that really how it has been delivered?
0: Not quite that brazenly. Uh, more so, I've had a meeting with them. I've needed something and they've turned around and said, okay, when are you, buying? when's your buying cycle? Or that could be vaguely um, disguised as when do you need this implemented (laughs) by all those types of questions for me? Just, it feels like it's a hard sell and it, rather than it being a soft sell, I'm all about the soft sell. I'm all about if we can demonstrate to a customer, and once again, I'm talking from the vendor side here, if we can demonstrate to a customer that there is value, And a lot of vendors don't measure things, if that makes sense. A lot of vendors will say, oh, you've got pretty graphs and whatever, but the actual meaning behind it is what the insight, I guess is what I'm trying to say behind the data is what customers find valuable. Having a dashboard that says my machine beeps 23 times in a day is not very useful to me. What do those beeps mean? You know, how can I then improve my environment, my service, my platform, my, my increase, my revenue, because I now know there's 23 beeps. That's what people find valuable. That's that's more of a soft sell. So it's a lot of a capability play initially, I think. Um, so yeah, first one is don't, don't make it a hard sell. Don't make it obvious that it's a hard sell when you're trying to chase numbers. Um, the second bit is, yeah, provide the insight rather than just the raw data and metrics, because You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of data. And I heard a real, I heard it on a podcast the other day, actually, someone said, you know, a a security tool or most tools, just are fancy um, alarm systems that beep all day long. And it's like, well, how do you make meaning of those beeps? And I think that was a very apt way of looking at it. In fact, I laughed quite hard when I heard it because it's it's right.
1: So true. I mean, I'm putting on my reporting analyst hat. That's what I had to do. It's like, okay, I'm doing all this reporting, but that means nothing if we're not deriving insight. Like, oh, we ran a phishing campaign and 83% of people in uh, uh, business banking uh, were compromised. Cool, but why is that? What do we do to improve that potentially? You know, like of us, it means nothing. It's just more noise out there and more time looking at a report that you're not sort of, you don't have a clear roadmap on how to actually go about making things better. Or what does that mean to actually do things differently?
0: Yeah, I, I would also, I'd also add in there that as a vendor, you need to be prepared to walk away, right? I And back to the whole point of saying, well, we shouldn't be afraid of asking the hard questions or or giving hard information, you also need to be prepared to say, and I would love to be in this position, right, to be in a company where as a pre-sales person, you know that the customer isn't a good fit, right, and you can actually turn around and say, we're not, you're not the right fit for us because as certainly in the managed services space, which I've got a lot of experience with, when you try and bring on a customer that has really unique requirements or is extremely demanding, that's not going to be That's not going to be valuable. And that's, in fact, going to have detriment to all your customers because you spend all your time looking after this needy one. Um, Maybe needy is the wrong word there, but, uh, you know, a customer with high expectations. So there's that. I'd also say if you are a vendor, providing meaningful, you know, we've talked a lot about transparency and how do you compare these tools or how do you compare these solutions Um, as a vendor being able to, not asking for a battle card or you don't need to provide one, but things that customers can think about to say, okay, have you thought about these things? And leave it up to the customer to go away and make the decision. I think the more you try and push a customer to buy something without them willingly investing the time to, um, you know, understand it, really understand it, and then go, okay, I can see value in it. All you're gonna end up with is someone that buys it and then doesn't really, as we talked about earlier, doesn't use all the features, doesn't really make good progress with it. And I believe in Australia, there's actually, um, it's it's in law where it's on the vendor to ensure that the customer gets the use of it, um, certainly in managed services space. Otherwise, there can be recourse, uh, which is obviously not what anyone would want. And certainly you wouldn't want your customer to churn because we say we brought it, but, you know, we never really um, defined who was responsible for implementing it. And I didn't really get the support. And then what have you got? You've got churn and a negative customer review. Um, And anyone that understands how net promoter scores works knows that one bad customer is a lot worse than, you know, doesn't offset one good customer.
1: Totally agree. And that sort of ferocious behavior is, doesn't really get you anywhere in the long in the long run anyway so Really appreciate your time, Scott. I really like how you were honest. Uh, Again, we want to shed light on some of the shady areas in the whole industry. That's what this podcast is about. We want to give people, cut through the noise, cut through the BS and just say it how it is. So really appreciate your time. If people have a question for you that I did not ask you, how can they go about getting in contact with you?
0: Uh, Probably the easiest is on my LinkedIn, which is Scotty Fletcher.
1: I think it's Scott Fletcher for the record. I
0: haven't looked. I haven't (laughs) haven't looked at it i think it's scotty
1: i don't think so right 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 awesome okay well loved the chat as always scotty and can't wait to do this again thanks very much for your time and thanks for coming awesome thanks carissa thanks for tuning in we hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital.
0: This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.